Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the b2bincubator.com and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching in February 2024. Remember, the b2bincubator.com. Apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand journal roles, and content leads and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategy that they created in it. Again, make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. and welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week, we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing. We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five Bs, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and tactics that work, then this podcast is for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. Welcome back to the B2B playbook. Listeners, we are well and truly into the swing of things in season four. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about optimizing your data capabilities. In particular, we're going to actually start to take a look at your marketing tech stack. So we're going to be discussing things like CRM, CDPs, and data. Kev, it sits in the fourth B of our five Bs framework, Be Better. What's Be Better all about? Why are we here? George, as you know, and hopefully our listeners know already this far into the season, Be Better is all about optimizing your B2B marketing workflow to cement yourself as the expert you set out to become. And obviously, this episode sits very nicely in that you're improving and optimizing your workflow with your data, with your tech stack, as George mentioned, particularly now that you understand and you're helping your dream customers and you have a bit of a data bank built up which is what we covered in the first three Bs. That's be ready, be helpful, and be seen in the previous seasons. And George, just like a couple of episodes ago, this is one where there's a lot of acronyms. So we're going to kick off this episode with a couple of definitions. It'll be great to jump into all these acronyms, Kev, because, I mean, you and I have set up and worked with these in... uh more advanced businesses, larger businesses, but we're also starting to do some of this for ourselves, for the B2B incubator, the B2B playbook. So it'll be interesting, I think, to share from both our sides, the ups, downs, the round and round of CRM, CDPs and data. Is round and round even a thing? I don't know why I said that, but anyway, Kev, let's let's move on. Let's move on. No handbrakes, no handbrakes. <laughs> All right, let's start off with some definitions. <laughs> definitions, Kev. You wanted to kick off with definitions. You love keeping us on track, on task. Kick off with some definitions for us, Kev. Yeah, and uh, George, as you said there, it's something that we're starting to do with the B2B playbook, the B2B incubator, 
Um, but it's also something we are getting more and more into in our day jobs outside of the podcast. And listeners, to be perfectly honest, there's a few terms in here that even we had to look up just to make sure there's some things that not everyone needs to touch on, even at a later stage. Um, but it will start to come up and maybe you already do some of this stuff, but you just don't have the names for it. So that's why we have a definition section. So the first one, George, is CRMs or CRM software. The definition for that is customer relationship management systems. Effectively, it's any tool or process to help a business better organize and access customer data. Um, so a very common example of this one is HubSpot. And effectively, what a CRM does is it will hopefully help replace things like spreadsheets and databases that are hard to access and consolidate and get insights from uh, when it comes to all communications and documents associated with each customer or account. By using a CRM and organizing your data in this way within a platform or some sort, it allows you to quickly access that information, but also better analyze trends in customer behavior at scale. So you can see immediately that CRM is gonna be very powerful for sales teams. So if you have a sales team within your business, they're gonna love a CRM over a spreadsheet to keep on track of all the different interactions the business is having with particular accounts or customers. And as well for the marketing team, because everything is hopefully being recorded, data is being systematically noted down in an automated way. As you started the analysis that we talked about in previous episodes around uh, looking for customer trends and trying to improve how you approach the customers to solve their pain points, hopefully a CRM will be another great source of data. Uh, yeah, Kev, I mean, look, for our own business, we're currently in the process ourselves, right? You and I live in Google Drive, Google Sheets, and we're tr currently transforming all of that to the free tier of HubSpot. And listeners, um, if you're trying to choose a CRM to begin with, HubSpot's free tier is an excellent, excellent place to start. If you combine that with their Google Chrome plugin, uh, it really starts to make a lot of your life easier. So definitely check that out um, if you're just getting started. All right, Kev, CDPs, what's a CDP? CDP is probably one that's less frequently heard of. Um, so that stands for Customer Data Platform. And it's really designed for marketing a lot of the time. It collects and unifies your first party data. So that's your own data, the stuff that you have complete control over and that you can record at will. One example of this is Segment. So the tool Segment is a CDP platform. And the main aim of such platforms is to help you build a single and complete view of each customer and the journey into your product or service online. And then it allows you to use this data to analyze, create targeted audiences and personalized marketing campaigns as a result of that, and also to help you organize the data. Uh, you can think of it as sort of the funnel, the bottleneck, the funnel point that controls your data flows within your business from the sources of data that you might have like your website or marketing platforms to your CRM or your analytics tools. It's really the tool that allows you to control the data flows and ensure that the quality of the data is there as well. Something that's a little bit more technical to set up, Kevin, but is absolutely worth it, uh, particularly if you're at this stage, this be better stage where you're trying to optimize. Um, CDPs can be really important and uh, setting up something like Segment to get that data and make sure it's tracked properly so you know where to improve. Um, is becomes pretty important. All right, Kev, CMS or CMP, what are they? So the definition for CMS is content management system and CMP is content marketing platform. 
CMS first. CMS is a software or application that basically allows um, the use of a database to manage all your content. So mostly used when developing or maintaining your website. So you'll likely have one already at the back of your website. The common example here is WordPress, but something like you know, Shopify can allow you to do some of this to a certain extent and other things like Squarebase is also CMS. And generally, as mentioned, it allows you to control and manage your website content without too much coding knowledge. That's the important part. It allows you to do all this with very little coding knowledge and it also allows you to organize your creatives. So images or videos that you might use. So it can be a very important tool as you start to automate some of your content scheduling, for example. CMP on the other hand, uh, might give you an additional layer of tools on top of CMS that also allows you to collaborate and collate your creatives as well as organize it in a way that relates to your marketing strategy as a whole. Um, it has another definition on the paid ad side. Uh, so that is creative management platform. And that's more to do with how you manage creatives within your performance marketing channels but that's not the CMP we're talking about in this context for the context of this discussion. Uh, it's focused on that content piece. Yeah, they're both absolute lifesavers, Kevin, because it means that you and I don't have to know code uh, to make changes quickly and uh, to make things work and to make them pretty. Actually, though, Kevin, you told me that you are starting to learn some code. Isn't that right? Uh, very slowly, very slowly. I think any marketer these days, particularly online worth their salt, needs to have some basic understanding of JavaScript and HTML and all those kind of things that go into a website. So trying to get my head around some of that a bit better. And uh, you said that your dad is actually helping you out because your dad is an absolute whiz. Um, how, how are the father-son programming lessons going? It's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a work in progress, George. I think um, we're working out our teacher-student relationships, uh, but I'm sure we'll get there. He is, he is very knowledgeable and I'm very lucky to be able to learn from him. Oh, beautifully, wonderfully said. Um, my last moment, like learning, doing some kind of official learning from my dad was I think back in year eight or year nine at school. Um, he loved Latin and when I was doing Latin, the dead language, um, he insisted on me doing very well at that. And to do that, I had to sit down and, and revise and be tested with him. And my God, I just remember we are two very, very different learners. He's very slow and deliberate and like make sure he gets things the first time and I'm probably a little bit more chaotic. <laughs> and it was a very, very... Um, trying time, I would say, <laughs> for that period. But you know what, Kev? I ended up doing quite well. So thank you, Dad. Thank you for uh, making me push through it. Um, Father-son teaching moments. They're, they're trying sometimes. Yeah, yeah, there's special moments. And George, it's, uh, it's great to hear that you are very well-versed in the dead language. But hopefully what we talk <laughs> about this episode will be a little bit more helpful to our listeners in their future lives. <laughs> you know what, Kevin? I remember my dad, um, when I was at law school, he'd always say to me, yeah, all that Latin that you did, like that, that helps, doesn't it? Because, you know, so many of the words and law are derivatives of, of Latin. And I'd always say to him, yes, yes, of course it does. But in my head being like, absolutely no, it does not help. <laughs> and um, then when I went into marketing, he keeps going to me, Oh, I'm sure being a being a lawyer has definitely helped you be a better marketer, hasn't it? 
And again, I'm like in my head, no, not really. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I tell him, yes, yes, dad, absolutely it has. I think so much more strategically and blah, blah, blah. Oh, very good, George. Um, I don't condone um, lying to, to the folks, but I guess some white lies to spare a few feelings is warranted. Um, so <laughs> carry on. <laughs> All right, Kev. Uh, we've been through CMSs. CDPs, CMPs, you know, why are all these things important? I think it's really important to talk about why these uh, things in your text, in your marketing tech stack are actually important because I do speak a lot on LinkedIn about how marketers focus too much on their tech stack and they forget to do the really fundamental things like deeply understanding your customers, making sure that we're actually trying to help them and educate them and solve pain points. But if you've got all that down, um, you know, you absolutely need to have a tech stack in place to try and take that to the next level. So Kev, let's talk a bit about why it's important. Yeah, definitely, George. I can't agree with you more. You know, a lot of the talk these days is about the tech stack and what different platforms can help you with. And I mean, that in part is because of the great marketing these platforms are doing themselves to call out the importance of those platforms and their many benefits and features. But they're true in some sense, there is some importance to every tool. And I think we touched on a lot of the things that you can do with these different sets of tools just in defining what they are a minute ago. Um, But the common thread that you'll find here that I really think it comes down to is they're important because as you're scaling, you start to run out of spreadsheets and basically the bandwidth to track all your activities and customer trends in those simple spreadsheets or free tools you have at your disposal. So as your team grows, issues like access and sharing of data and insights also become an issue. And even just doing some simple analysis of the abundance of data you have at that point starts to become an issue in itself. So these platforms really are designed to solve some aspects of that scale in your marketing, but it's important to know that it's there to help you with scale. But as you said, George, you know, the prerequisite is what we talked about in the first three Bs is getting to know your customers, uh, being helpful and actually start to accumulate some of this data that you can actually analyze. If you're putting the data and the tech stack before that, then you're really putting the cart before the horse. Sorry to interrupt guys, but I need to let you know that our next cohort of the B2B Incubator is launching in February 2024. For those who don't know, the B2B Incubator is our no-fluff program that gives you the strategy, the templates, and the tools that you need to drive more revenue for your business, not just leads. It's built for small in-house marketing teams with limited time and budget. So if you're ready to act on all the advice that we give you and you want to start driving more revenue for your business, next time you sit down at your desk with a cup of coffee, remember to head to the b2bincubator.com and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort. So apply now for our cohort launching in February 2024 so you don't miss out. The b2bincubator.com. Check it out. All right, back to the episode. They often help you work just a little more cross-functionally too across different teams, don't they, Kevin? Like a CMS is a great way to um, start aligning sales and marketing. So Salesforce, HubSpot, it's where you can start to centralize all of that data, um, all of those dream customers in one spot and all of that marketing. So hopefully everyone is moving uh, you know, in one motion. Of course, that's not the reality. Many, many businesses don't actually have that 
uh, within HubSpot, but you know, when it's well executed, that is absolutely the purpose. And I guess kind of similar for a CMS, right? It brings together a lot of the, the content team, you know, some of the demand team, um, a lot of marketing functions um, to be able to put together great, interesting campaigns and content without having to bother the tech team all the time. So they're great for working across different teams and bringing them together. Talking through an example is probably the best way to illustrate some of the importance and things you can do with these platforms. You have a client, George, in the ESG space, and I know they recently got onto different things like a CRM uh, to help with scaling their marketing activities. Do you want to talk us through that? Yeah, yeah, sure thing. So um, they lived in spreadsheets for a really long time, and they were largely sales-led, and there was really kind of nothing wrong with that. That was fine. It was working for them and working for their business. Um, but then they were starting to move a bit faster as a business. They were winning uh, more customers. The team was scaling. And I encouraged them to start working out of a CRM. And we basically looked at either Salesforce or HubSpot because, I mean, they're the two big ones. And uh, in the end, we decided that HubSpot was probably a little bit better suited to their needs. So that we could really start to manage the leads that were coming in, start to visualize the pipeline that was coming in, uh, where certain deals were, you know, also integrating how quickly we were getting subscribers um, to the great content that they were putting out. Also as a central place where sales and marketing can log all of their activities. So the material that marketing were creating was easily accessible by sales. Marketing were very easily able to see what sales have been up to to make sure that there's strong alignment there across the business. It's still early days. They do seem to be committing to using it, which is which is great news. It is making people's lives a bit easier in the business. And uh, they don't seem to be going back to the spreadsheets, which is a really good sign. I do know, speaking to a lot of marketers, that they always advocate for moving to a CRM like HubSpot or something. And half the challenge is even getting the correct data in there because sales or sometimes marketing too, they just can't be bothered logging everything they're doing in a CRM. They feel like it's creating double work. Suppose it's been good care that we've built some good habits early on there so that they've seen the value in... um, everyone being in one central place. Yeah, that definitely is a pain point that I've seen and come across myself internally um, at a few different places where, you know, the sales team and marketing team, as you said, seem to be reluctant to use these platforms and switch over their workflow. But it is very important. It's important for the scale of a business to do that and to ensure data accuracy is there. You know, part of it is potentially implementing something like a CDP that automates some of that data collection for you and connecting different platforms into your CRM so that effectively it does more and more of that data collection automatically. And then that allows you to do a lot of other things like automating email flows or building audiences off the back of your existing audiences that you can use to retarget in your performance marketing channels. These are all different things that come out of leveling up how you use these different data platforms. But it comes back to that point, George, um, we're talking about earlier, where you know the context of this whole episode of these data platforms is that it's just a tool for helping you It's just a set of tools for helping you dealing with issues that come with scale. As your marketing function grows, as your business grows, scale becomes a problem. It becomes scale raises issues of its own and these tools are here to help that. It does not replace the need to actually get to a point where you have that data and on solid foundations before you actually should start considering these tools. Tech stack is not the be all and end all. 
Yeah, Kev, I think we spoke about it in an early episode, but you know, everything that happens in the be better stage, they're all optimizations that result in um, uplift of a couple of percent. It only becomes worth it at the point of, you know, focusing on those one, two, three, five percenters when you're actually scaling, because then the math adds up and go, okay, we need to pay attention to this problem because if we spend time solving it, then the uplift is 100% there. Uh, but most businesses, Kev, they need to go back to those fundamental three Bs and get those right and stop worrying about their tech stack so much. And while we're on the topic of fundamentals, another one to call out here when you start to approach looking at these data platforms and leveling up your data use is to come back to that principle of 80-20 because the specific nature and specific needs for data and for how you need that data presented in your specific business really varies a lot depending on the stage you're at and what business model you've adopted. Uh, So we really can't give you that detailed guidance on exactly how to level up your data use in your specific case. We're gonna run through a few common platforms in a second to help you get started and give you a few ideas. But it's important to come back to that AD20 principle or mindset again. That is the overarching rule pretty much for the whole be better uh, season, but in particular for data platforms or using a SaaS product in your tech stack, it really does come down to does that investment pay off? Whatever it's doing, is it currently taking you a long time to do manually? And then is that payoff worthwhile in terms of the investment that you need to put in, the effort, the expense to get that platform set up and maintain it ongoing, You know, moving your whole sales team to a new process, moving your marketing team to a new process. If it's worth it, go ahead and do it. Um, but just do that 80-20 analysis before you jump in. That's it. And uh, look, if you go to every single one of these platforms' websites, they're all going to promise you two, 300% increase in ROI. And if you're looking at that and then you go, oh, well, there's a clear business case for, for our business so I can send that to my boss, like that's, you can't just go off what they say at the landing page. You know, none of those results happened in a vacuum. As Kev said, you have to be realistic about where your business is at, where the company is at. And if this is something worth focusing on, you can't go off a case study on someone else's page if they're a business at a totally different stage to yours. Well, George, aside from all that doom and gloom about the the extent to which these platforms uh, lead you astray, we do have a few common ones we want to talk about that potentially have good examples of the use cases that can help businesses at this point in scale. Um, So let's go through some of those. Um, We're going to run through some ideas here, listeners, that revolve around the common platforms and their uses that we'd recommend. Um, So hopefully you can take a few ideas and do a bit more investigating in relation to your own business. Let's kick off with CRMs, George. Yeah, just to rattle some off, Kev, we've got ActiveCampaign, HubSpot, Salesforce. Another one that I'll throw in is Pipedrive. That's more of a sales-led CRM. They're all pretty easy and intuitive to use. They definitely have different entry points in terms of pricing, um, but they're pretty easy to get your customer data organized. Most of them have all the tools that you need to start using those insights and not just for marketing, but for sales too. I think pretty much all of those have a tier where you can start to automate some personalized marketing campaigns from them too. But very often, um, as you use more features of that CRM, the pricing goes up. So um, definitely something to look at 
uh, when you're evaluating which of these is right for you to look at, okay, which of those features do we have to pay for in the future? How high is that tier? How soon do we think we'll reach it? Do we think we'll be able to afford that? Because it is an absolute pain in the ass switching CRMs, Kevin. Um, so better to try and get it right um, from the beginning. Yeah, definitely, George. It is definitely going to be a pain in the ass, listeners, if you're trying to switch halfway through um so make sure you consult the rest of the team the wider team make sure everyone puts forward their use cases uh, for the data that we're trying to put into a crm and then based off that based off that collective knowledge make the right choice for your business i will just add kevin that very often i'm not sure if all of those crms have like an onboarding program but very often they give you an onboarding program and an account manager I haven't dealt with all of them, but the ones at HubSpot are generally pretty good and they can be really good at actually showing you how to get the most out of the platform, Uh, not just in marketing, but for other teams as well. So to get, you know, sales as buy-in and other teams as buy-in on how to use it the most, we really recommend bringing someone external in to show you how to do it because, I mean, that's where the real power for CRM happens is when everyone is actually using it as that single source of data. That's a great call out, George. And you know what, listeners, if you do sign up to a service like HubSpot, you're probably going to be paying for that help, so might as well use it. And I think one great example of the use of CRM and CRM data is to actually retarget customers that haven't bought from you recently. So this is very low-hanging fruit that not a lot of people do. Very easy to jump into one of these platform CRMs segment out the customers who haven't bought from you recently or haven't bought another product of yours that may be related um, to the ones that they have bought and then you can personalize a message to call out to that group what the benefits are of a new product and features that you know might be solving another pain point they have so this is a great way to get that value out of your crm straight away from the get-go yeah it's a great place to be able to just dig into segment and slice up data to look for the best opportunities to meet your business goals you know if there are more challenging businesses business goals coming up in the next quarter and if the average customer lifetime value is there for your kind of product you might decide that the best way to try and tackle that is like a pilot account-based marketing uh, program that you launch. Um, Kevin and I have actually done a, a mini series on it, which we encourage you to go back and check out if that's of something of interest. But the idea is that you target a bunch of uh, just a bunch of accounts, um, all of similar firmographic, demographic, psychographic qualities, and you create really targeted marketing and sales players to try and win them over. And that actually might be something that's a really great strategy uh, moving into the next quarter. So. Being able to have all that data within a CRM uh, makes it very easy to try and get that that information about, well, should we actually be trying to look at doing some expansion with existing customers that we're after rather than trying to find a whole lot of new business in, in order to meet these business goals. So getting everyone on board, having everything in the CRM, it just makes it a lot easier to try and get those initial insights. Another set of tools that's going to help you listeners in getting some insights is social media management tools. So this is a bit of a controversial category. A lot of people advocate for the use and if not a stronger group advocates that they are not there to be used, they they are not helpful at all. Um, So tools like Hootsuite, Buffer, Later, Sprout Social all fall into this bucket and they effectively help you schedule your social media activity and get some insights on those occasions that maybe you're away or can't otherwise engage organically. 
And often they do provide you with those insights and guidance on what's performing well organically and when you should post and things like that so you can better organize your content. They often provide you with some sort of content calendar as well to help you with that scheduling. So rather than doing it in a spreadsheet as George and I like to do because we can build that uh, to be a pretty efficient level of tool, a lot of these platforms will allow you to do that within the platform itself. Because you know, as you scale, again, that spreadsheet might start to get out of hand. You might need to have different people contributing to the same content calendar and having a platform like a social media management tool will help you do that and manage that collaboration. Just know that it does seem from anecdotal experience and stories that we've heard that you do tend to have less results in terms of reach um, compared to when you manually post things live on your socials. But at the end of the day, there's going to be times when you need to schedule things. You know, you might be away on holiday. Things might need to go live on a weekend that you're not working. And these tools do help you with that. Um, It's great for aligning messaging as well uh, across different time zones. So if you're not actually awake at a certain time and another team within your business is launching a sale that needs to go through at the same time, that is another great use of these sort of tools. Um, But just be aware of that reduction in performance that we mentioned just before and really balance that in your own specific cases as to whether the cost associated with using these tools and that reduction in performance is worth that time saving or the ability to schedule. Yeah, Kev, uh, just on whether it reduces reach, um, I'm not sure if it is anymore. Um, LinkedIn are actually creating their own native scheduling tool, which is apparently being released next year. So it'd be pretty weird for them to create something like that and then actually limit the reach that people get and punish them for using that tool. I think probably something that we've learned working with other businesses and from our own when it comes to content, consistency is everything. So if using a scheduling tool is going to help you to be consistent, absolutely go ahead and do it. But just make sure that you're trying to still make that brand feel human, that you're engaging you know, off the back of that content that you are posting, even if it's scheduled, um, because that is going to make it a lot more human. It's going to connect with people a lot more and the algorithm will probably reward it a lot more. That's a great call out, George. I do know that several other platforms on the social front are building their own scheduling tools as well. So hopefully we'll see that become less of an issue. Um, But yeah, it remains to be seen whether that has too much of an impact going forward. I think we had a theory on this um, and potentially it's not actually the scheduling itself that reduces reach. It's potentially the fact that because you're scheduling posts, you're not actually online on those platforms to engage with content, other people's content, other people's posts and other brands posts at the same time. So your brand is not as visible at the right time. So your organic posts don't get seen by as many people at the time it goes live. So that can detrimentally affect its reach over time for the lifetime of that post. Um, But that's just the theory that George and I have. Um, I'm sure all these things are different factors with different weighting in how much reach you get. Don't get too bogged down in it. Just make sure you think about the tool, upsides and downsides of each particular tool and whether it works for your particular business and use case. All right, Kev, let's go into some other marketing automation tools. This is the stuff that everyone loves talking about. This is the stuff that I actually thought was marketing before I truly understand what marketing was. (laughs) So things like chatbots, intercom, HubSpot, Marketo, Pardo, Eloqua, Eloqua, not sure how to say it, Kev. They're all great marketing automation tools that help you do 
different things, uh, whether it's helping with, you know, collecting more information about people who come to your website, uh, trying to capture more of their details, trying to route leads appropriately to the correct salesperson, you know, all, all kinds of, all kinds of interesting things. Yeah, this is a fun one. Um, as you said, George, you know, it's actually a pretty minor part of the marketing process, right? It's really a lot of tools that fall into other functions of the business. So intercom, uh, you know, HubSpot, a lot of that, it's potentially used at the end of the day more by a sales team or a customer success team or both and less by the marketing team other than to do some analytics and to build some automated marketing flows. But really the bulk of those tools, it does automate a lot of the processes that other teams like customer success uh, might use. So like email automation or having a chat bot that helps answer some very common questions that people might have on the website before it reaches a human being um, within the customer success team to help manage the workload. Um, so again, a lot of tools that are worth uh, looking into and why we mention it you know, in this context of Be Better is often the rest of your team, the customer success team, maybe the sales team on board, they might already have some of these tools in place. They might already be used to using some of this stuff. And the things that you want to do, say you want to put in HubSpot, but maybe you can get away with using Intercom that's already in place and everyone's already familiar with and data already lives there. Maybe you can just use another feature within tools that are already in your tech stack to accomplish what you want. You don't need to always sign up to a new tool. Be sure to look at what marketing automation tools you already have in your tech stack that potentially could do what you're looking after. And maybe you're already paying for it. You just don't know because it's being used by another team. So... This is really just a section to help us call out, you know, there is a wider range of marketing automation tools where a lot of the functions that you might look for already exist. Uh, Kev, one that I used to love, I uh, used it more in the B2C world when we were working more there was a tool called FOMO, which basically was a social proof tool. And when you'd be in a website, it might've been an e-com site, say someone's buying handbags and you'd be on it and a little notification would pop up and it'd say like, oh, someone from Sydney just bought this bag 12 minutes ago. And so it would just keep showing that other people were using the site, people were subscribing to the newsletter. Yeah, maybe that's something that people can look at for themselves. I really, really like that one. Uh, maybe something we can look at now we're getting more subscribers to our newsletter as well. So when people come to the B2B Playbook site, they can see, hey, someone from my region just subscribed to the B2B Playbook um, You know, 10 minutes ago, whatever it might be. Don't get lost in these tools. I don't know why I brought that up, Kevin. That's probably a distraction, but just a little fun one that I wanted to share. Yeah, no, it's a good one to share. And uh, like all us listeners, we'll be applying the 80-20 principle as well. We'll be looking at whether those tools give us that return that is worth the investment. All right, quick rattle off of a few others. Um, so email automation is one that we mentioned in passing already, but there's plenty of tools that does just that. Things like MailChimp, I'm sure you've heard of listeners. But again, it's something that you should look at your existing tech stack for. Potentially, you know, if you have something like Intercom or HubSpot already, they already provide you with tools to do that. And you can do very well just by doing email automation or things like that within your existing tech stack because they allow you to target your emails based on audience segments that you can build within those platforms. It's really two birds and one stone. And as well, it's consolidating data sources um, to make sure that they connect a bit better. So that's very important as well. And the next category is customer data infrastructure. So we mentioned 
segment, um, a CDP example, uh, there's other things or alternatives like Telium. Zapier is another tool that falls into this category, although it's really just a connector between different data sources. So if you have silos of data between different platforms, Zapier often can help you connect those data sources and also automate that data connection. And then quite interestingly, there's a category of tools that sit within data enrichment. So things like Clearbit, Zoom Info, and LinkedIn Sales Navigator. And George, I'll hand this off to you in a second to talk in more depth about how you use it because obviously you're um, the one that's using it for us in a much more day-to-day -day sense. But at this point, potentially listeners, you might have some gaps in your data that you wish to fill or you want to do some more matching of the existing audience segments that you have, but you're missing you know, a phone number from a set of people or an email from another set of people. One way to complete your data is through data enrichment tools like Clearbit or Zoom Info. Yeah, you nailed it, Kev. I mean, that's that's what they're great at is really helping enrich that data. So if you're missing some key points of contact, um, Clearbit, Zoom Info, LinkedIn Sales Navigator, they're all really great places to do it. And they have integrations with, you know, your HubSpot, Salesforce, et cetera. So typically um, when companies are at the scale where they are ready to start paying for these tools, they've, you know, probably got quite a lot in their CRM and they need to start getting some more information about each of those points of contact that's in their CRM so they can start to qualify, okay, based on our ideal customer profile, who is the best firmographic fit. Um, but you might just have a name and an email in your CRM and otherwise it's got to be some poor intern's job to go through and manually uh, scrape and collect all of that information from different sources and update your CRM and you're probably at that point much better off paying for a data enrichment tool to do it. So they definitely make sense. Um, you know, they're great for pulling those different points of contact, as I said, for making sure that when you're running campaigns or whatever it might be, that you are targeting the right people within those firmographic fit. Costs can be high. So uh, you can always test out a portion of each of these. Uh, we use the Clearbit weekly free visitor report, which basically just reveals some of the traffic that's been to the B2B incubator website, the B2B playbook website, and it's able to reveal what company those people were for. So typically that traffic is anonymous. You don't know who it is. But um, if I dive into that weekly report that it sends me every week for free, it'll say, you know, here's a list of companies, you know, here's their firmographic information on them. And, uh, you know, sometimes has an email address to contact them. Before you go and pitch it uh, to your boss, definitely go and sign up, I would say, as a first port of call for that weekly fee free visitor report to see what it's all about. Yeah, nice one, George. Uh, and then the last one we'll just quickly touch on is business intelligence or BI and uh, analysis tools. So things like Tableau, Power BI from Microsoft or Heap for product analytics. When you get a lot of data, you sometimes need to better represent and wrangle that data to draw insights and also to present that data to a wider team, particularly if multiple people need regular access to it. And particularly as your volume of data scales, that becomes very difficult to manage in a spreadsheet. So obviously there are tools like Tableau and Power BI that allows you to build these reports on top of your existing data sets or databases. So just another tool to look into, potentially you'd have an analytics person on your team at this point and they can have some input around which one is best suited for your business needs. Um, but just summing up, George, I think 
you know, all these different categories of platforms, all these different specific platforms, they can really get out of hand pretty quick. As you scale listeners, as your team scales, dig in and see if any of these categories interest you and might help you automate some very manual uh, points of friction within your marketing function. Or otherwise, you can even get a marketing expert or growth marketing expert in to help you leverage some of these tools more. Um, but it's really about scaling and helping your business with scale issues. There's also, Kev, I'll add consultants out there that can help you things with, you know, like automating these platforms, helping make sure you get the most out of them. Um, So if your business can't afford to hire someone full-time to do this, like a marketing ops person, whatever it might be, um, you can always find those independent consultants. And actually, you know what, if you you need any, I've, I've got a couple that I can recommend. So reach out to me on LinkedIn. Well, there you go, listeners. Um, That is all the different acronyms and things related to data in the marketing growth stage. Key takeaways from this episode, as your business and marketing practices grow, you'll need to upgrade your data platforms, tools, and systems to keep up with that scale. The good news is there's a whole suite of tools out there, probably too many, uh, for pretty much every function that you'd want to automate or scale. The bad news is they come with costs and resources required to research, set up, and maintain them. So the golden principle here is it's just a set of tools to help you with scale. You need to apply that 80-20 principle that is the key here. Only look into implementing those data tools that are worth the return on investment. And we've given you some quick examples and ideas on starting points in this episode. Beautiful, Kev. 80-20 principle. It is absolutely golden. All right, listeners, uh, as per usual, you can find the links to everything that we discussed in the show notes. And listeners, we are so, 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 so grateful that um, every week more and more marketers are tuning into the B2B Playbook podcast. And if we can ask one thing, it would be to please just tell someone about the podcast who you think could really use it. Um, it's been wonderful to get a lot of positive feedback from people. I've been busy collecting testimonials, Kevin, and it's awesome to see that people are applying our five beast framework in their business and getting a lot out of it. So thank you. Thank you, dear listeners. Um, that's an amazing help to us and we really appreciate it. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, listeners. Take care and catch you next week. Thank you, George. Thank you, listeners. Take care and catch you next week. A quick note before you go, listeners, you can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips, and resources from our playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. 